see everyone here this morning. Welcome to Creekside. I just want to read a few words of encouragement, a few words of scripture to help our minds to focus on Christ. Colossians 3, verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And just thinking about what a challenge it is sometimes to set our hearts, to set our minds on the things that are above. I mean, we're constantly bombarded with uh, events and news and uh, a world that sometimes feels like it's out of control. But I'm just thankful for this encouragement that reminds us that, you know, really we have died. That's what Paul says. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So while this period of time on earth feels like the most vital thing uh, about us, Paul's really saying that your life, your life is hidden with Christ. And, you know, the fact that it's hidden with Christ means that someday when Christ appears, he says, Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So just an encouragement and a reminder to think about where am I setting my heart? Where am I setting my mind this week? Am I setting my heart on the things that are above or am I setting my heart on the things of this world? Let's just bow our heads and uh, spend a moment in silence and prayer. Father, uh, we're just thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you that your word uh, helps us to reorient our hearts, to look and to see where are we placing our hope, where are we placing our faith. Uh, Father, for, for those that are struggling um, with sickness or uh, discouragement, we just pray that you would help to encourage them. Uh, some are at home this morning. Uh, may you continue to uh, just help us all to remember that this life is temporary, this life is short. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. But I just wanted to um, say thank you to all of you for your tremendous support with your prayers and your um, financial support for our trip. Uh, God provided, he protected us, and he prevailed over our trip, and I am I'm just so thankful. I never felt so loved as I felt by this church family before we left on this trip. Um, so many people said that you were praying for us, that you, you texted us, you called us, you stopped by our house, and... Um, and I just felt so overwhelmingly loved, and I just wanted to um, thank everyone for your prayerful support and financial support. So thank you so much, and I'm going to turn over to Ryan.
Yeah, I'll have to second what Karen said. This trip was definitely a lot different than some of the other ones we've been on. Um, for one, there was a lot less people that were going, and for two, it's the first mission trip I've ever done during a uh, global pandemic. So that definitely played a, a factor in our discussions on whether to go on the trip over the summer. We were, there were some times where we weren't sure whether we would go. In fact, there was one point where we weren't going to go on the mission trip. We just kept praying about it, and the Lord told us to go, um, in, each of us in our own way. There wasn't a moment where we all, at a t as a team, together decided that we were going to go. It was individually the Lord came to each one of us and told us to go. And all of the obstacles that we were afraid of were removed. So all the travel restrictions, all of the um, fears of having to quarantine once we got down there, God took those away. And it... I'm very glad it did because it ended up being a very relational trip. Um, that was actually my interest in going this year because we didn't, I wasn't going to paint a hospital by myself and I wasn't going to build benches by myself. And with three people, there's only so much you can do, but you can relate to people and you can talk to them and get to know them more. So if you go to the next slide, I want to talk a little bit about the group of us that went down. It was obviously Norb and Karen and I that went down from Creekside. But this year we had the uh, privilege, actually, of going with a couple of people with Promise for Haiti. And that's the uh, mission organization that we go down with every year. Um, it was started by a, a man named Dr. Guy, uh, who actually served in the U.S. Air Force. And the Lord told him to go to the United States and become a doctor. And he did. And he came back and started this hospital in Pinon, Haiti. And it's actually the best hospital in the country. So these two work with that organization uh, stateside. They help with the needs that the hospital have, and it was just really great to have them along the trip with us. And it was actually worth going down just to meet them uh, because they are on fire for the Lord, and the um, organization is in good hands. They are very, uh, very passionate about serving the Lord in Pinon. If you go to the next slide, there was a number of different things that we uh, did on the trip. Um, in particular, Norb and Karen were actually able to help one of our friends down there with some food distribution in the countryside. Um, this is the Pierre family, and some of you who have gone down there will know uh, Wilkins. Um, but actually, uh, Norb and Karen were able to meet his uh, brother Robinson and the rest of his family, uh, including his sisters that live out in the countryside. So they uh, went out there and they, they took this beat-up old pickup truck in... Um, waded a river in it and uh, you know, made it safely to the other side and um, brought this food there and uh, were able to distribute it. And just a little uh, anecdote about the heart of the people down there. Um, there was a gentleman that was enlisted to help with figuring out who should get the food and kind of um, making a distribution list. And he was supposed to get some of the food, uh, but he was so interested in helping others, he forgot to put himself on the list. So another trip had to be made to to um, get some food for him as well. But that's really the heart of the people down there. There's so much uh, physical need in poverty, but oftentimes there's a lot of people who are very willing to give of what um, little they have. Another, uh, if you'd go to the next slide, another opportunity that we had was um, Karen actually partnered with the hospital to teach a women's health class um, through a ministry called Days for Girls International. And um, this is something that we sort of take for granted here in the United States, you know, uh, having um, adequate health education and access to hygiene products. And 
but this was something that the hospital saw as a need and that Karen was able to, to work with. So over four different days and in four different community health clinics um, around Pinon, um, those are clinics that the hospital has uh, set up down there. Um, so they had the people that, the ladies that they could invite to come and uh, be uh, taught these things about taking care of themselves. So the hospital provided a doctor to go with Karen and actually the, uh, the pastor, uh, the chaplain of the hospital went with him. I, I was pretty impressed with this pastor that went to teach a women's health class with uh, Karen. I, I don't know if Steve has ever been uh, called upon to do that kind of thing, but it was just a really uh, encouraging time and having the pastor along I think was a good thing because um, there was a point where one of the doctors was saying one thing and the pastor sort of presented it from a biblical perspective and kind of disagreed with it. So it was good to have him there in speaking in uh, Creole um, so that the ladies could kind of hear the, the Christian perspective as well. Um, if you'll go to the next slide. So the next part, uh, and this was Norb did the lion's share of this. Um, he's been working with uh, Pastor Finial, who's down there in uh, Haiti, and over the last three years, gotten to know him, and um, they actually lost their land last year after we left. And so they've uh, got some new land this spring, and they did something that makes me as an architect kind of cringe. They disassembled the building piece by piece, carried those pieces to this new property, and put it back together. Um, so now they have a lot more land than they used to, and they're using it to grow corn and beans, and they're um, sharing that with the community. Um, and one of the days I, I helped build a cactus fence, which I've never done before. So it's pretty easy to just cut off the cactus and put it in the dirt. So you don't really have to have a green thumb to do that. But the, the bulk of that was a seminary, which is in these uh, next couple of pictures. Norb has been in conversation with Feniel over the last few months to kind of get this set up. And when he went there, um, the theme was actually the first three chapters of Joshua. In particular, Joshua 1.9, which I neglected to copy into my, <laughs> my presentation notes. But uh, the picture on the left there is kind of Norb's highlight from this trip. So you'll see uh, Robinson Pierre, um, who I mentioned earlier, and Norb cutting this red ribbon. And that is part of the story of Rahab um, in Joshua chapter 2. That, that was kind of the topic of the day. This cord that Rahab tied in the window in order to show that she trusted that the Lord would deliver her. And how that's kind of an Old Testament picture of the blood of Jesus that covers us, that can save us from our sins. And so this cutting the red ribbon was sort of a, a, a picture that Norb was using to kind of represent that to the people that were there. You know, that we have uh, done something similar by trusting in the blood of Jesus, um, that he will protect us from God's wrath. And so after a, a little prayer um, and a little quiet time, slowly the people in the church uh, came up. You know, at first it was just a couple, right, Norb? And then eventually the whole church came up for this symbol of their commitment and remembrance of uh, what the Lord had done for them. So that was the high point of the seminary. And then the other picture of Norb playing with these kids and showing them the phone, that was actually one of my favorite moments on the trip was, uh, you know, you don't really speak Creole, but a smile is multilingual and just being there and hanging out with kids. And we actually, um, first time I've seen Norb play soccer. Then this last picture is, was my favorite um, part of the trip. On Sunday afternoon, we went into the Haitian countryside with a, a dear brother, uh, Jean Robert, 
And he has this ministry where um, he goes and they have these prayer, prayer groups out in the countryside because they're not wealthy enough to have their own churches or church buildings. So they go to these different um, places throughout the countryside and they have a prayer meeting. And that prayer meeting consists of, um, they start off by uh, anybody who has a song can sing it. So actually while we were there, there was a couple of young girls, uh, probably maybe seven or ten, that offered up a a song in praise to the Lord. And then they have a time of prayer. And then they have this little box that, because they don't all have printed Bibles and many of them can't read. So they have this little box that has um, Bible passages recorded on them. It's an do some research on these boxes. They can be sent into hostile countries, and if the authorities plug in the wrong code, it plays local radio, but if you plug in the right code, it plays the Bible. So they have this box, and they listen to this Bible story, and then that gentleman in the green with the backpack on um, gave a message on what was read and kind of elaborated on it. So instead of having the pastor read the Bible, they listened to the Bible and then talked about it. And what was so cool about it is you know, when we showed up, there was no chairs. At, well, there was maybe a few chairs here, but, you know, we showed up and then people started coming and they were hauling plastic chairs on their heads and, you know, from the uh, adjoining houses. And it was just really cool to see this church just kind of pop up from uh, nowhere and, you know, being out and worshiping God under the sky. I, I recommend it. It's quite, a, quite an amazing experience. Um, and then... Yeah, so that was definitely my, my favorite time with being with fellow believers out in the, the Haitian countryside. So just to kind of wrap up, we were kind of disappointed to learn, well, it's kind of mixed, uh, mixed news, actually. Uh, at the beginning of August, one U.S. dollar bought 120 Haitian goods. At the end of August, one U.S. dollar bought 60 Haitian goods. So this is a good thing for the Haitian economy because... Food is actually more affordable now, and there's some, they can get buy more with it. It's not good news for Promise for Haiti. They basically lost half of their donations that they've received. Um, and this puts them in a really tough spot. And, you know, as we're coming into a time where we think about giving, I would just commend this organization to you to give to. Um, these people have a heart for serving the Lord by providing uh, health care to this community in Pinon. And there's programs that they have where families can be sponsored and their health care is provided for by someone here in the United States. And they'll give that, that health care to a family down there. Um, so it's a really good organization and they've, uh, they're having, they need financial help, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so if, there's a few ways that you can help. Uh, there's, if anybody shops on Amazon... If you have the app on your phone or the website, go to smile.amazon.com and put them as the beneficiary, unless you have some other organization you donate to. And this is something that you can do really easily. So everything you're going to be buying for Christmas or whatever that's going to come in two days, a portion of that will be donated to Promise for Haiti. A couple of other organizations that we couldn't have um, done anything without. Uh, Missionary Flights International, they're the ones that fly us into Pinon. They get us in on a a World War II airplane that's been upgraded a little bit. but um, And then the organization that Karen got the uh, kits from, they actually, so Karen was able to give out some kits um, basically for free because this organization gave her 100 kits. And what they do is they do this around the world. And so if you want to you know, contribute to their 
mission. Um, it's Days for Girls, and you can go and find their website online. And the last thing that I have for you this morning is a, a prayer that a good friend of mine down in Haiti, Edmund Joseph, um, he's a pharmacist down in Pignon, and uh, we spent a lot of time with him, got to spend a lot of time with him. He taught me how to play Kings in the Corner, and Connect Four is something that we pass the time with. But he, he had this prayer for us before we left, and it was really hard to, to keep emotions put together when you're getting ready to leave the country for who knows how long. But he wanted me to read this for you all because it's uh, um, something to you as well. Our Father Majesty, who's in heaven, my family and I, please thank you for everything you did for us, and also for the NORB team who came to visit us here in Haiti, more precisely at Pignon. Thanks, our dad, for everything. Now we ask you to leave them, lead them through this Haiti trail to Iowa, Des Moines. We say thank you to all the family members who allowed them to come here, and also to the members of the church who never stopped helping them through their prayers. Thank you, Lord. I and my family would always love to see them here. Thank you for the love you put in each of us, and thank you because it is a real love that inspires you directly. So just on, that's kind of the, the reason why we go down there is to have these relationships with fellow believers um, who are down in Pignon, and it, and it really is a, it, it means a lot to them that people would come to be down there, and it means a lot to us to be able to go down there and share their their passion even just for a little week so thank you again for your prayers and your support and if you could actually pray for me I have an opportunity to go back down maybe sooner than next October and if you want to know a little bit more about that I'll maybe send something out but um, turns out that there might be use for architects in Haiti so thank you for your time thank you Ryan Norm and Karen uh, appreciate you guys doing that if you have your Bibles uh, <clears throat> open up to Matthew chapter 10 we will be in Matthew chapter 10 today, verses 34 through 39. I'm going to go ahead and read it uh, as you're turning there. <clears throat> Here's what Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 10, 34 through 39. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake We'll find it. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for the words of Jesus here. We want to be reminded that Jesus matters most. No matter what is happening in our life, no matter the climate uh, happening around us, that Jesus matters most, that Jesus is on the throne, that you, God, are in control. And God, we want to continually remind ourselves of that. We want you to remind us of that. Uh, we want to be reminded of it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus matters most, so there's a few things we're going to look at as we look at these six verses, uh, but we want to be reminded in our lives that Jesus matters most. I saw a tweet the other day, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but there was an election this week, and uh, 
I saw this tweet uh, from, from Tim Keller, and it's actually, it was just a quote within uh, uh, one of his books, uh, Counterfeit Gods, and it hit me because I, probably like many of you, was up late Tuesday night and on my phone and on my computer and following Twitter and any other website I could find to see what was going on in the election, right? And so I, I saw this on Twitter, and I was reminded that Jesus matters most, It says, one of the signs that an object is functioning as an idol is that fear becomes one of the chief characteristics of life. When we center our lives on the idol, we become dependent on it. If our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, our response is complete panic. We do not say, what a shame, how difficult, but rather, this is the end. There's no hope. This may be the reason why so many people now respond to U.S. political trends in such an extreme way. When either party wins an election, a certain percentage of the losing side talks openly about leaving the country. They become agitated or fearful for the future. They put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that once was reserved for God and the work of the gospel. When their political leaders are out of power, they experience a death. When they believe that their policies or people are not in power, everything will fall apart. They refuse to admit how much agreement they actually have with the other party and instead focus on the points of disagreement. The points of contention overshadow everything else and a poison environment is created. Another sign of idolatry in our politics is that opponents are not considered to be simply mistaken but to be evil. After the last presidential election, my 84-year-old mother observed, it used to be that whoever was elected your president, even if he wasn't the one you voted for, he was still your president. That doesn't seem to be the case any longer. For each, after each election, there is now a significant number of people who see the incoming president lacking moral legitimacy. The increasing political polarization and bitterness we see in the U.S. politics today is a sign that we have made political activism into a form of religion. How does idolatry produce fear? I read that, and it struck me because I was watching this, and... Uh, realizing, for myself at least, like how much hope I would put in a certain candidate, how much hope I would put in, in the results of that election, uh, but reminded that God is in control, right? That Jesus is on the throne, and God has a plan. And I, I don't know that plan, but I know that God is in control. And so we, we, want, we want to be reminded of that, and we want to be reminded that Jesus matters most. I remember talking, not remember, I was talking to my brother this week, and as we were talking about what was going on in the election, talking about just the importance of, you know, what, you know, what does God want to do? What does God want to do within our, my own heart, right? Start there. But what does God want to do within the hearts of our family, our friends, our country? And God can use anything, right? And God, God, God wants to see uh, his people return to him. And I think, at least as we observe what's happened with the church, even within our own country, and just so many churches that are so watered down from the gospel, and we want to keep pointing back, uh, ourselves back, uh, people around us back, like this is the truth of the gospel. This is who Jesus is. That no matter what happens, or no matter who's elected, or no matter who's in power, Jesus is on the throne, Right? Jesus matters most. And as I was reading this portion, man, it hits because as I look at this, I think this is what Jesus wants us to get is like, hey, you know what? Jesus matters more than peace in your life. Jesus matters more than people in your life. Jesus matters more than your very person. Jesus matters more than 
Mike Johnson helped me with this, but pulse. I had to have peace. I had life, and I couldn't come up with a peace. But Jesus matters more than your very own life. And as I look at this portion that Jesus is talking about, that, that's what he wants us to remember. And no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what we're dealing with, Jesus matters most. See, you see that. Do not suppose that I have come to be, bring peace to earth. Isn't that weird to read? Like the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. Yet, he says here, I, I did not come to bring peace. Now, we know that someday we're going to experience the true peace. When Jesus returns and reigns, right? Like he's going to return and reign and everything will be right. <laughs> and we long for that day. Until then, we, we have this like picture like, okay, if my, my candidate or this candidate gets elected, oh, there will be peace. That's not going to be true. It doesn't matter who is elected. That will never be true because they're not Jesus. And there's not going to be peace. And we can read the Bible and we can see that, that it's not going to happen. But we know one day when Jesus returns, it will happen. Listen to the words in Isaiah, Isaiah 2.4, speaking of this time. He says, he will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Won't that be an amazing time? Won't that be an amazing day when Jesus reigns in that way? But that's not today. Today, Jesus is saying, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not peacemakers. It doesn't mean that we're not even involved in politics and we want to see change happen in the world through those things. We should be, right? We definitely should be. But Jesus wants us to know what this world really is. And this world is not a peaceful place. That's not today. Uh, there's a, a story uh, that I was reading. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a, uh, he was a journalist, and he was, he was dying of cancer. And this was several years ago. His terminal cancer was right before the election, uh, Bill Clinton and Bush. Okay? And he was talking right before the election, and he, he so wholeheartedly believed that if Bill Clinton could be elected the president, that he would find a solution to cure cancer. Like in his mind, he was convinced that, that Bill Clinton was going to be the savior, and they would find a way then to cure cancer because he was passionate about it, and he cared for it, and he put the time and money and resources. And it was shortly after that he was elected, he talked about how foolish I was, that I had put my trust and hope in that, right? And not, not that great things can't happen with whoever might be elected. They can. But when we put our hope in something other than Jesus, guess what's going to happen? We're going to be disappointed because Jesus matters most. And here's what Jesus is saying here in this first portion the demands of the kingdom, I love this quote, I saw this quote, the demands of the kingdom are so offensive to a world already convinced of its rightness, they provoke the world's hostility. The demands of the kingdom are so offensive to a world already convinced of its rightness, they provoke the world's hostility. When 
we study scripture and we hear the words of Jesus and we want to live out the words of Jesus and what he's called us to do, that, that, those words, that lifestyle, the truth of the scripture, it, it's offensive. It's offensive to a world, and I love that, that's so convinced of its rightness. Like the world, and right, we don't have to look any farther than our current political climate, right? Where a world is convinced, doesn't matter who it is, so convinced of its rightness that if you would disagree and oppose that, what is their opinion of you? I spent way too much on Twitter, time on Twitter this week. I actually deleted Twitter like a year ago, and somehow I got sucked back into that this week. But I'm, I'm reading it, and here's, here's one tweet that had tens of thousands of tweets. And all this person was saying, like, hey, if you agree with this side, we need to, you know, whatever. We hate, they are so wrong. We hate them. They're told they should not be your friend. They, whatever. Right? A different belief system, because the world is so convinced of its rightness that if you have a different belief system than the world... They hate you. And how much more then with Jesus, the words of Jesus, the truth of Scripture, following Jesus and his truths and how he's called us to live our lives, and we begin to live our lives, begin to, to, to live out those truths, how much more a world convinced of its rightness is going to reject us. And so what Jesus wants us to point us, point us to here, verse 34, do not suppose they have come to bring peace. They did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus wants us to understand that if we choose to follow him, and Steve talked about this last week, right, with persecution. Like, we choose to follow him. We choose to live out how God has told us we should live our lives. Like, the world's going to oppose you. It's going to become more difficult. Now, I'm 43, but I would, I, would, I would guess as I would ask even older generations that as you look back throughout your life, are we coming into a, even a more difficult climate and time to live out your faith? And maybe it's just social media, maybe it's just out there, but you, like the, the tweets I was reading this week and what I was seeing, like there is a, a hatred, right? A hatred that exists. And that's, I'm just talking politics. Now, how much more do we see for a follower of Jesus. And will we continue to see that? Because some parts in the world, right, you, you not only are hated, I mean, you, you could die for your faith, right? You'd be thrown out for your faith in pursuing and following Jesus. And Jesus wants us to understand, like, hey, that's how it's going to be. If I matter most to you, you will be rejected. The world will reject you. The world will hate, will hate you. That is the truth. So I, I, I read a story uh, yesterday about a guy named Afshin Zayafat, and he's a, a pastor down in Texas. But he was, uh, he's, his family's from Iran originally. He was actually born in the United States, but then they went back to Iran. Then he came back to the United States. And he talked about uh, just a little bit of his story. And in his story, when he was a young kid, and his parents had hired an English tutor for him, and that English tutor was a Christian. And gave him just one of those small little New Testament Bibles. Said, you know, just kind of hang on to this, read this. But he said, she it was such an influence in me because the way that she loved me and the way that she cared for me. And I stuck that Bible and I just stuck in a drawer. Nothing really happened. And he talks about his senior year in high school and he was playing basketball. And he used Jesus' name in vain. And somebody came up to him afterwards and says, I, I just want to let you know that that Jesus, you, you said, that, that's my God. That's who I follow. And he's 
was struck by that because he really hadn't never thought about that. Then he starts talking about he, late night, he's he watching something on TV, and then a friend came into his life, and then he went to this cru- evangelistic crusade, and it was there that he gave his life to Jesus. And he talked about how he came to Jesus, but, but he was fearful. He was in a Muslim family, and he was fearful to tell his family of this decision he had made. And so here's him telling the story. He said, I, I made my commitment to Christ public at that evangelistic crusade, But driving home from the event is when it hit me. What am I going to tell my family? What am I going to tell my father? My father had always been the most important person in life, life to me. The guy I'd always looked up to. I'm ashamed to say that I I decided to hide my newfound faith from him and the rest of my family. I would sneak out, go to church, intercept the mail from church I was attending, and hide my Bible. Finally, one day, my dad found out. He'd seen my Bible, and he'd also seen other evidence in my life. He sat me down and said, son, what is going on? There's something different about you. I said, dad, I'm a Christian. He said, no, you're not, young man. You're a Muslim, and you'll always be a Muslim. I said, dad, the Bible says that if I trust Christ alone for my salvation, that I'm a Christian, and I do. My dad said, Afshin, you're going to be, you're not going to be a Christian. If you're going to be a Christian, then you can no longer be my son. Everything in my flesh wanted to say, forget it, I'll be a Muslim. I don't want to lose the relationship with my dad. So even I was surprised when I opened my mouth and said, Dad, I have to choose between you and Jesus, then I choose Jesus. And if I have to choose between my earthly father and my heavenly father, then I choose my heavenly father. My father disowned me on the spot. I went upstairs to my room, and then the defining moment of my life, I said, God, how could you do this to me? Jesus, if you're real, how could you take my dad away from me? The Lord led me to where Jesus says, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his his father. I read this moments after my dad had disowned me and thought, whoa, (laughs) this just happened for me. Jesus goes on to say, I have come to set a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be his his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter of me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross... And follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's when I first understood what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And we can hear and we can read stories like this all over the world, can't we? And in many countries and instances, it's probably much more drastic than what we'd experience here, but it can be like that, right? People lose their family. People lose everything they have because they make a decision, I believe in Jesus, and I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus matters more than our own peace, right? We want everything to be right. We want everything to be okay. And when the world is chaos around us, like, it, it, it's hard. And that's what it's felt like for me this world is just this week is it just felt like chaos. And this was such a reminder to me that, Jesus matters more than my own peace. And Jesus doesn't promise 
peace for us as followers of Jesus. Instead, he says the exact opposite, right? When we pursue him, when we follow him, we, we choose to live like him and for him. Man, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Jesus matters more than your own peace. Jesus matters more than your own people. Jesus matters more than your own peace. He matters more than your own people. Verse 37 says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So the first thing I would pose is like, well, who is our family? And we're going to read in Matthew 12, uh, eventually when we get there, Jesus talking about his mother and brothers. And he says, my mother and brothers are those that do the will of the Father. If we're tied to our own blood relation and limiting our love to our near and dear ones is simply being selfish. I, I read a Again, I spent a lot of time on social media this week. Maybe I shouldn't admit that. But uh, I saw this lady posting another one about Facebook. Like, you know, we don't need friends. We've got our family. And limiting ourselves to just that really is being selfish. I think throughout the Bible we see, you know, those that are our family. Now, family matters, right? You know, my dad's halfway decent. But I've got, you know, other people... I'm just kidding. He's a good guy. But family matters. And to have that, that close family relationship... Is a big deal. Uh, and, you know, man, I've got a beautiful wife and beautiful kids, and like, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. But I think God gives us such a picture. Like, hey, family is beyond just that blood relationship. I, I, I you was reading um, uh, David and Jonathan, a great example, in Psalm 118.3. Jonathan talking, he says he, he loved him as his, speaking of Jonathan of David, he loved him as his own soul. As his own soul. Proverbs 18:24, friend sticks closer than a brother. So we get this picture. So, yes, more important than, than family, but it's it's all our people, right? Who our people are. Uh, Luke 14:26 even goes as far as to say, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Isn't that crazy? Like if you don't hate your father, mother, brothers, and sisters. Now, what does he mean? Because that's contrary to everything that the Bible would teach us, like to hate our family. He's not really telling us, man, I need to hate father and mother and my kids and all that. Like that's not the picture. But the picture for us is like your love for your family is going to pale in such comparison to your love for Jesus that it almost looks like you hate him because I love Jesus so much and I'm so devoted for him. It's like those other things, almost like they don't matter. Now, they need to matter, right? I need to care for my family. I need to love those things. But that's what the picture that Jesus wants us to get. Like, your love and devotion for me is so great. That's what matters more than your people. Your love and your devotion for me matters more than anything. He doesn't want us to hate those things, but he wants us to be so devoted to him, like that's almost what it looks like, because my love and devotion for him is so great that he matters most. Generally, we would say we have to love Jesus more than anyone, right? That's what he's talking about as he, as he says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter is not worthy of me. But the the desire for Jesus for us is that we love him 
more than anyone, more than anything. I think it plays out practically, you know, and I was thinking of the things that consume my life, like Twitter and Facebook, but time, right? I mean, time is a big deal. Like, what, what consumes my time? I think even this week, like, this is such a great passage for me to, to, to look through and to study this week because, man, what's consuming my time? Well, what's consumed my time this week has been the election. And, like, you know, it's got my attention and it's got my, my you know, excitement and my disappointment. And it's got all of those things when, you know, I'm reminded, like, Jesus matters most. Jesus matters most. My time. Where is my time spent? My energy, my focus, it's so easy to be distracted by all these different things going on in the world. I was talking to someone recently, like, I coach my son's games two nights a week and, you know, help out with youth group on Wednesday. And then we got family functions and there's like not a lot of time, right? Especially at this stage of life, maybe, where all these kids are doing everything. All these kids. I love you, Ava. But so, but it consumes you. It, It takes your time. It takes your energy. It takes your focus. And, and those, are, those are things I want to be involved with and, and be a part of for sure. But when it becomes that it's consuming so much of your time that your time with Jesus takes a hit, that's a big deal, isn't it? Right? Jesus matters most. And it should be reflected in my time and my energy, in my focus, with my money. You know, Ryan just talking up here, a great need. And as God's people, we want to help in those areas, don't we? What an opportunity. That was pretty cool, even jumping on Amazon. Like, I didn't know that was there, but how simple of a thing that we can do. And, and whether it's for Haiti or for, for some other uh, ministry. But what, what an opportunity, right? And so we want to do that. Uh, we want to be involved with that. Time, money, energy, focus, our worship, ultimately, as well. Jesus is more Jesus more than anything. Jesus more than our peace. Jesus more than our own people. Third thing, verse 38. Jesus more than our own person. Verse 38 says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Uh, for all the talk of, in our world, world right now of low self-esteem, people still cling desperately to themselves. I don't, I don't think you have to look far to see people love themselves. I, uh, in a great book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren, one of the opening lines in The Purpose Driven Life, he says this, This life is not about you. This life is not about you. I think that is a fundamental thing that we, meet, we need to understand, that this life is not about you, is not centered around you. Uh, Luke 29, uh, 9.23 even goes a little farther here than what Jesus says in Matthew uh, 10. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves. This life is not about you. Is that first understanding it's, it's not about me. I, I looked at Philippians 2, one of the great passages uh, that talks about just uh, the, the, the selflessness of Jesus and this great picture that he gives us. And there's a few things that, that it will state in, in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others better than yourselves. Consider others better than yourselves. I mean, this is contrary to what the world talks about, right? Like, the world talks about self 
first. That, that's just how the world uh, thinks and acts. And then Jesus talks, it says, he made himself nothing. And so here is this great example Jesus has given us, what it means to be selfless. And so when he asks us to deny self, right, that, I mean, that's to be our attitude. Nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others better than yourselves. This life is not about you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. I think uh, we can read that and we look, take up your cross. Oh, those are the burdens I'm going through. Well, I had a tough day at work or finances are a struggle or, you know, my friend doesn't like me right now or whatever it might be. We, we consider the, like these are the burdens. This is the cross I have to bear is the statement we'll hear, right? Well, quite literally, Jesus' audience at the time understood exactly what he was saying. To pick up your cross meant to physically pick up the cross and you were going to go and you were going to die, right? Because that's what was taking place. That's what was going on with the Romans, right? They were nailing people to a cross. And when Jesus made this statement, they understood like the power behind it. It wasn't just like, well, I had a bad day at work. That, that kind of stunk. That's the cross I got to bear. No, they understood that it was like, this is death, right? This was the cross. And so he tells them, pick up your cross. And the picture here for us is that we have to die to oneself, right? Jesus more than my own person. Death to self. Even what Alan was reading there in Colossians, right? We died with Christ. We, we have a new life with him. And this is a daily thing. For us to die to ourselves is not, not something that, it needs to be something that, that, you know, daily I'm doing. Like, I need to die to my flesh today, right? I need to die to myself that this life is not about me, and I need to remind myself, because you know how easy it is to begin to go back and revert and do and act and live how I used to live before Jesus? It's pretty easy, right? I think we'd agree with that, to live in such a way. And so Jesus wants to remind us, deny yourself, pick up your cross, die to yourself, and die to yourself daily, daily, and follow me. Deny yourself Pick up your cross and follow me. And it seems to truly be a disciple, to truly follow after Jesus, man, we got to take those first couple steps, don't we? Realizing, deny self, it's not about me. I need to pick up my cross. I need to die to myself. I can follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Come and see. Follow me. The last one is uh, more than your own pulse. More than your own pulse. Jesus matters most. More than your own peace. More than your own people. More than your own person. And more than your own life. Listen to Matthew 10, 39. Jesus says this, Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The promise of eternal life should be sufficient motivation for anyone who genuinely believes Jesus' claims. Uh, I read this quote, The greatest moral longevity pales in comparison with eternity, but we sometimes prove less committed than we're supposed to be. That even the first disciples were not initially prepared for such a demand. 
does not mitigate the level of commitment our Lord seeks for us. For if we want to be followers of Jesus, we must be ready to die. If I value my life in this world more than I value Jesus and the life of the next world, I cannot be a disciple. Wow. Wow. Jesus matters most. Jesus matters more than my own life, than the very breath that I take. That's commitment either, isn't it? And that's what he says there is like even the, the first disciples didn't, didn't fully understand what Jesus was calling them to. Now, most of us in this room will probably not be martyred for our faith. But Jesus is telling us, like, you need to be willing. You need to be ready. Like, dedication to me and following me and willing to give up your life for me, that's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. We talked about it last week. Steve talked about it last week. You know, that that as a believer and as a follower of Jesus, as someone who pursues the kingdom of God, like there's going to be persecution, but there could be persecution even to a level of, am I willing to die for my faith? I I was reminded of the story of uh, Jim Elliott and Ed McCullough and the others that, uh, you know, went, went out and were willing to give their life, right, to a people group that had never heard the message they went, they sought to bring this message of peace and hope and love, forgiveness and new life that's found in Jesus, and they were killed for it. They gave up their life for it. And the famous quote, Jim Elliott's famous quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Like, it's worth it. And Jesus tells us that it's worth it. It's worth it if you follow me, but it's not easy. You've got to be willing to give up peace. You've got to be willing to give up your people. You've got to be willing to give up yourself. You've got to be even willing to give up your own life. But it's worth it. And Jim Elliott's own words even said it. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain when he cannot lose. And what a gain it is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you Jesus is on the throne. I know I need that. I know I need that reminder that God is in control and Jesus is on the throne. Uh, God, we want to seek to follow you. Even here, seeing the words of Jesus, uh, both in Luke and Matthew, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow you. To be willing to lose our life. But what a gain. What a gain it is. Uh, We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the life that we have in him. Uh, It's in his name we pray. Amen. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore.